Hi, I'm Peter Alsop. Welcome back to Songs to Chew. Early in my career as a songwriter for kids and families, I met a brilliant musician named Bob Blue. He wrote songs like I do, and he too was committed to helping children and families figure out how to navigate through childhood and parenthood in this funny old world of ours. Bob's stories and songs provide ways for folks to see things a bit more clearly. By listening to them, we get new ideas about how to proceed more kind-heartedly through our lives together. So we became friends. He lived in Amherst, Massachusetts, and I'm from Topanga, so we didn't see as much of each other as we would have liked, but that was fine. Today's song to chew is one written by Bob that I recorded on my Staying Over album. It's called Dear Mr. President. I love this one because I think many of us family songwriters steer clear of some of the difficult issues that kids and families have to face, partly because we don't want to scare the children, but also because we know that many parents may not feel equipped to address certain issues with their kids. But as you will see in this song, it's possible to talk with kids about almost anything, as long as it's done thoughtfully and in a manner that gently opens up the subject so kids and parents can have a safe dialogue about it. Parents don't ever need to feel inadequate. If we simply bring something up gently and then just listen and support our kids, we will find out what they know and what they think, and then maybe we can ask them some simple questions. It's always okay for parents and teachers to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to think about that for a while. I need to chew on that idea for a bit. And it's important to do that because it models for kids that it's okay if they don't have immediate answers for some of their own questions either. So let's listen to Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President, I am in second grade. My teacher thought that I should write this down for you. I don't know why he thinks that you'd be interested. You have so many things to do. Last week at Show and Tell, I shared my sticker book. And Michael Ergo said that he had one like mine. I said I had about 200 stickers now. He said he had 509. I got home after school, picked up my piggy bank, emptied it out, and then I laughed and put it down. I went to Favorite Things. It's like a sticker store. Maybe they have one in your town. I got more stickers than I probably should have got. I brought them home and then I stuck them in my book. It took me very long, like maybe half a day. Well, I'm not sure how long it took. I brought him all to school, and Michael laughed at me. He said at home he had a whole lot more than me. He said his father owns a sticker factory, and brought him home 10,003. I called him a dirty liar. He called me something else, something my parents said a person shouldn't say. I told him, cut it out. He said, you make me stop. I hate when people talk that way. Then I hit Michael's arm. I know I shouldn't hit, but I was angry as an eight-year-old can be. He hit me back, of course. Soon we were fighting hard, me hitting him, him hitting me. My mouth was full of blood. His nose was bleeding, too. We had to talk about it instead of having Jim. We should have gone to Jim. The talk was really dumb. Him blaming me, me blaming him. 
I got home mad that day Threw out my sticker book I don't know why I like those stickers anyway You just keep buying them To say you have the most That's such a boring thing to say I save my money now Soon I'll buy better stuff Stuff that is useful like a bicycle or sled And Michael's friends with me Showed me his sticker book Not quite as many as he said I cannot figure out why I am writing this Maybe my teacher thinks that you have stickers too Well, if you really do Why don't you throw them out? Sincerely, your friend, Tommy Drew In Bob's original version of the song, when he performed it The letter was written by a little girl Sincerely, your friend, Mary Lou And because I wanted to sing it on my album Not as myself, but as one of the boys on the album I asked Bob if I could change Mary Lou to a boy's name. He said, okay. And I said, how about Bobby Blue? He said, uh, no, not that. I said, okay, well, how about Tommy Drew? He said, sure, that'll work. So that's what I used. I've always admired Bob's craft as a songwriter, but even more than that, I admire how he always puts the kids in their stories first instead of himself. That was what was most important. Let's see, what else? Oh, in case you were curious about what instruments I played on that song, it was my acoustic guitar, an auto harp, a glockenspiel, and toward the end of the song, I played my nose flute. You can kind of slide smoothly around through all the notes with a nose flute. Most people would say that a song about the President of the United States is inherently a political song. And why in the world would we play political songs for children? And I would respond, what exactly do you mean when you say political? Because the definition of politics is the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power. And I think that just about everything we do with our time here on the planet, analyzing interpersonal interactions and deciding what actions we should take or avoid taking, are all political decisions, especially for kids, who aren't concerned that much about the governance of our country, but they are concerned with the other area, part of that definition as in reference to our immediate family area or our school area. Kids are constantly having to assess who has power in these areas and figure out how they can move about and get what they want from those in power. It's usually mom or dad, but it might be grandma or the principal, the lady in the cafeteria, the custodian, or the school bully. Kids don't much know or use the word escalation, but you can describe what happens when one kid pushes another kid waiting in line and that other kid pushes the first kid back harder, and the first kid shoves the other kid back again even harder, really hard. Kids understand this. They just don't use the word escalation. Growing up in Connecticut in the 50s, I saw people buying and building home bomb shelters so their family could survive a nuclear attack when it came. Of course, those shelters would have been totally inadequate had there been a nuclear war back then. No bomb shelter would really be able to help a family survive a full-out nuclear attack. But the conflict among individual or parties having or hoping to achieve power, part of the politics definition, still lingers today. Bob wrote this song in 1984, and we still have not eliminated our stockpiles of nuclear weapons because of the fears we carry about other parties or countries trying to achieve power. And this song sails through all the recognizable human escalations that happened to our friend Tommy Drew, from bragging to jealousy, then competition to fighting and hitting and using violence to defend ourselves as we do when we feel attacked, and even then to becoming friends with your enemy afterwards. 
All of that speaks volumes to the fact that it's the stories we carry around with us about who other people are that dictate how we behave. We live in a world today where most of us have been essentially trapped in a predominantly male binary way of seeing the world. Friend or foe, good or bad, fight or flight, yours or mine. You get the idea. When we live in a society that sees the world with these parameters, it limits us terribly in ways that prevent us from putting on another set of glasses in order to see things from a different perspective. Some people call that thinking out of the box. For years, I've taught that when we find a problem of some sort, simply by defining it as a problem, we're setting ourselves up for the limitations of a binary solution. Because when we hold the concept, the story, that we've got a problem, where we either solve it correctly or we don't, then if we don't, we've still got the problem. And then it's common to tell ourselves, well, I guess we'll just have to live with that, which is another no-solution way of seeing things. I found that if instead of seeing a problem in my life, I reframe the dilemma and think of it as a puzzle, it gives me some hope. And I can put on glasses that help me look for the missing piece of the puzzle, because now my story is about a puzzle, and I know puzzles can be solved. We just have to find the missing piece and figure out where it goes. And then we can move on with our lives. So that's why this kind of information is important to get out there and talk to kids, because they can comprehend it. That's it for today. I'm Peter Alsop, and I'll be back next week with another song to chew. Bye for now.